0: You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. I'm back from Portland. Shout out to USAAA. Thank you for having me and allowing me to share my words of wisdom with your conference goers on your Autism Siblings panel over the weekend. Thank you, thank you. Thank you to everyone that bought my book, A Shot of Hope, which sold out, which was, like, not expected. I literally brought a few books that I didn't think were going to sell out, um, and they and we sold out, like, so fast. So I was so—I am so grateful and, and appreciative of that. Um, thank you, Taylor Swift— for sparing me from all the shade you threw over the weekend. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little obsessed watching all of this gorging popcorn as I I watch all the tea spilling. It's been very juicy. Um, And lastly, I want to say thank you to the bartender Michael from Little Bird in downtown Portland for saving me from the crazy guy that was aggressively trying to sleep with me and take me home that night that we later found out was a crazy Coke dealer from New York. So yeah, you know, that, that happened. That was, it's a hot weekend. Um, And on that note, I want to welcome today's awesome, sassy guest that I'm, I'm really excited about because I watch her videos and, and I know we're going to have a total fun gab fest. She's the creator of The Dirty Word. She's an editor at Birdie and she is the author of the upcoming book, Wordy.
1: <laughs> it's hard to deny that those two <laughs> rhyme. <laughs> Please welcome
0: Amanda Montel.
1: Hi, thank you so Hi. much for having me on the show. I'm so excited to have you. <laughs> delight.
0: I mean, the Dirty Word is such a delight to watch.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you very much. I just got finished filming a new episode today. I was editing it. Um, yeah, no. It's Do you a edit blast. yourself? Oh yeah. Oh, are you kidding? No, that people. When people ask me like, oh, can you put me in touch with your editor? Like, I'd love to know about yeah. your production. I'm literally like. Thank you so much for believing there is a production because I film it and edit it and write it and produce it and publicize it myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm the same way. I do. I have a a Zach Attacks uh, series where we tackle different wellness trends, and so I literally have a cameraman that films it all for me because I can't like film and do it at the same time. But like, I'm literally the one that likes edits it on my little MacBook Pro, and I'm like totally not a pro. And I'm like, and they're like, oh my god, who's your editor? And I'm just like, um, it's me, and I use like iMovie. I don't even know the oh
1: no, one hundred percent. When they say like in twenty seventeen, everybody is a filmmaker, everybody's a photographer. That yeah. they're talking about me. Like <laughs> I'm just faking it hardcore. But right. you know, I I think that the material lends itself well to a web series. And actually, yeah. I never even intended intended for it to be a web series. It was supposed to start out as a blog that I was going to post on um wifey tv which Mm -hmm. is this amazing website that was founded by jill soloway the creator of the incredible um amazon television series transparent okay and um another incredible artist and founder of girl.com rebecca odes they founded this website called wifey which um you know is is a video content site that places the you know female perspective at the center it hands the subject of the conversation to women and gender non-conforming creators, and when I first learned about this site, um, I literally cold messaged Jill. I had stalked her physically um, once before at at a bookstore, my favorite bookstore in LA, Skylight. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I was just an enormous fan of Jill's work, and um, I hit. Wifey up on Facebook one day and I said, I've heard about the site Wifey. Um I have a background in language and gender. I was a linguistics uh, major in college um and the subfield of sociolinguistics language and gender really fascinated me. And so I hit them up and I was like, I can write content like feminist content for you on this topic. And they were like, great. So I wrote a couple blog posts and um, they seemed to like those. But ultimately they said, you know, we're a site for video, not written content. So we should really turn this into a show. So that's how it all came to be. It was, you know, I never intended. uh, My story was not like she moves to los angeles she (laughs) creates a web show like it happened so serendipitously but i'm so thrilled by i feel like that's how
0: things happen yeah like it's never like you have a plan and then you never the plan never ends up working out (laughs) and then it ends up better than you originally planned but it's yeah i feel like that's definitely my life
1: that's very much what happened to me
0: Um, But I'm also excited because we are sipping on some Skinny Rosa Margaritas.
1: Oh, yes.
0: These are nice. They're cool. They're refreshing. It's it's delicious. Right? And it's like totally roséed out. So it's made with uh, Codigo 1530 Rosa Tequila. Again, I talked about this last week. And Rosa Tequila does not exist without Codigo. Like, there is no other rosé tequila fusion like this, and it's good. It's a treasure. Like, I'm into it. So I mix this with some um, rosé kombucha to give it, like, a nice—you know, to make it, like, gut-healthy and make you feel better about it. We put some fresh lime in it. Um— and that's really it.
1: There's never been a more Los Angeles cocktail. Right? I'm really, really here for it. Right?
0: It's totally LA. Like, yeah, it is. They need to serve this at Air one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. You just walk in the door and they hand you one.
0: <laughs> right? All right. So go and check out Codigo. I'm telling you, this rosé tequila, you need to get your hands on it because I'm obsessed and I literally... My friend slash mentors moving to New York, and um, I wanted... Two of her favorite things are tequila and rosé, so I wanted to buy her one of these bottles, and I went to seven stores until I finally found it in stock.
1: Wow! Yeah,
0: I was determined.
1: Well, it's really one of the greatest things I've ever put in my mouth.
0: This is what... (laughs) This is one... I mean, this is, like, needed after that weekend in Portland. Literally. <laughs> oh
1: my gosh. I'm going to Portland. I'm going to Portland oh really soon. My boyfriend's running the marathon. Okay,
0: so you have to go to the Little Bird restaurant okay, in downtown. I'm so vegan. So good. That
1: complicates things. But I no, heard, it's fine. I recently it's heard that um, Portland is the number one best city in America to be vegan. Mm-hmm. I heard that.
0: Lots of great options. Um, yeah, and, and Little Bird is actually a great spot, and the drinks are so good. Oh, my god! Except for, like, that crazy guy. Like, literally... <laughs> I ran into him.
1: I don't think he'll like me as he liked. <laughs>
0: Probably <you>. not, or <laughs> as much as he likes Coke. I literally googled him after I left the bar, and I found out like there's like this whole story in like the New York Times about like wow. his Coke. Yeah, You're like, really like the bartender. Yeah, the bartender was like, "Are you okay? Like, <laughs> what can I do? Is everything socially okay?" Yeah, he was like intense. He's like, come to the bathroom with me. And I'm like, I'm not going to the bathroom with you. Like, stop.
1: That's a lot.
0: It was intense. (laughs) Okay. You have to do the icebreaker questions. Every guest that comes on has to do them. First question. What's one word your mom would use to describe you?
1: You know, my mom is, like, embarrassingly proud of me, so I feel like she would go for something really cheesy. I, I feel like she would just describe me as, like, amazing. Uh,
0: I love that. Proud mama. Yeah. Hashtag proud mama.
1: Pretty hardcore.
0: Fun fact. What's one thing about you people would not expect? Uh,
1: you, you know, it's well, this is more of a fun fact because I don't think a person would know to expect this or not. But okay, so recently, well, in general, I consume a lot of my media via YouTube. I watch Time. a lot of YouTube like a teenager would. I don't come home and watch television. I come home and watch the vloggers and the news channels and, you know, all the YouTubers that I like. But my most recent YouTube obsession is evangelical Christian lifestyle
0: vloggers. Oh my God. <laughs> why i i feel like that's intense
1: um it is so alarming and i cannot look away Uh, i was recommended a video um in my you know little recommended section on youtube and i thought it was a parody Uh it was so the channel is called girl defined and um it's hosted by these two women in their 20s who are like these six foot tall blondes who live in san antonio texas And the the theme of their vlog is, um, you know, kind of teaching young girls how they should behave as young girls according to God's will. Oh. So you've got videos on, like... How to wear modest swimsuits in the summer or, like, six guys that God wants you to avoid. Like, that is a
0: parody account. I know,
1: but it's it's real. It's so
0: real that it's, yeah. Well,
1: the first video that I watched was something like, Seven Reasons We're Not Feminists. And I thought it was a parody and I thought they were committing so hard. I was like, wow, these costumes, like, this is so smart. But it was real. And so... Just the Girl Defined channel sent me down this rabbit hole, and now I'm obsessed with these girls. I call them Pinterest Christians because they're these very, like, aesthetically minded Jesus lovers mm-hmm. Um, who, like, you know, they love Jesus, but they also love Chambray. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed with them. That
0: is... <laughs> like, I need to watch that when I get home. Tonight.
1: I know. My boyfriend, like, teases me that... Because I tell everyone I know about Girl Find. he goes... You know that makes you an evangelical minister, right? Like I'm like a missionary. <laughs> yeah, you're preaching it. I'm just like spreading the word, spreading
0: the word of God. It's,
1: I'm a Jew, by the way. I'm a I Jewish love atheist.
0: It. <laughs> okay, give me your drink of choice.
1: I mean, I think I think as of today, it's this.
0: It's <laughs> a, a skinny, skinny Rosa, Rosa margarita. margarita. I love it. <laughs>
1: I mean, typically it would be like two gallons of unsweetened black iced tea.
0: Mm. Like a
1: Trenta from Starbucks. Are you a, a drinker? Uh, uh, a alcohol. alcohol drinker yeah i love alcohol
0: <laughs> i i don't trust people that don't drink alcohol yeah
1: no i love alcohol my day drink of my uh morning my wake up and drink of choice is like a trenta unsweetened black iced tea from starbucks but my alcoholic drink of choice would be uh, i mean uh, god I i love all alcohol <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> maybe a wheat beer Okay. Yeah. If if we're talking Portland, like Portland on the brain.
0: There we go. Portland on the brain. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Now I need to know the most embarrassing moment that you learned the most from.
1: You know, this is actually a really hard question because I don't feel embarrassed in my my adult life very often. I used to feel embarrassed growing up all the time. I actually remember it like... (laughs) I remember this one moment. It's so cringy, when I was uh, in a in a middle school musical, mm-hmm. and I was cast as like the lead of the middle school oh. musical. But it was double cast, so there was like another girl playing the same role as me. Like I would go on Friday night, and she would go on Saturday night or something to like give more more people, more students, the opportunity to be in the show. And um, I felt like so confident about like my singing and acting abilities compared to my double cast. But there was this one day when we were both, when we both, the director had us both do this like sexy dance.
0: Oh my God. And
1: she was so much sexier than me. And I was like this little shrimp of a seventh <laughs> grader. And I had to get up there and like shake my ass and like do all oh these God. sexy moves. And I was so humiliated. And there were like all these cute boys watching and she was just like this like hot little eighth grader and i was like fuck am i allowed (laughs) to say fuck yeah you're allowed to say
0: it's hashtag no filter (laughs) yeah
1: i should have known but um yeah that was really embarrassing what did i learn from it i mean it was probably just like a humbling experience (laughs) yeah i feel like
0: yeah no totally okay if you had to be reincarnated as a kardashian which one would it be
1: as someone who works in digital media i am embarrassingly like Kardashian unfluent, unflu- unfluent, the opposite of fluent. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, Ken- Kendall is—that's a Jenner.
0: That's a Jenner. I'll accept Jenners.
1: Um, she's just like a hot model, and mm-hmm. rumor has it that she's a lesbian. And oh, I le- like—I
0: mean, I like lesbians. But she dated Terry- Harry Styles, and he's so straight. I mean. <laughs>
1: Is anyone? Right. But there was also all the rumors that she dated like Cara Delevingne. I just oh, love the idea. I
0: totally see that. And I actually really like there being like a lesbian Kardashian.
1: I mean statistically there would have to be. Yeah. There's so many of them.
0: Yeah. Um well, but, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like Caitlin took the cake and she <laughs> stole the thunder there. In
1: terms of like the <laughs> LGBTQ plus yeah. diversity. Yeah, I don't know. I love the idea of like being like a very thin lesbian model
0: (laughs) oh my god i love it
1: but i don't know
0: (laughs) okay so i want to know what you think about this whole taylor swift thing uh-huh. Because I've been following it so closely, and I'm interested in what your take on all of it is. Are we talking
1: about just, like, the drama the, and the video? Okay, her
0: video and her song that she just dropped and the response and reception it's getting.
1: Okay, well, I mean, in my sort of feminist circle, mm-hmm. um, it's not—well— There are some people who just flat out are Taylor Swift fans and they're just, you know, going to worship her no matter what. Yeah. But I think it's a fair cultural critique to be like, Taylor Swift, (laughs) there's a lot of shit happening on planet Earth right now in the United States right now. Yeah. And your enormous high production music video about some, like, Hollywood drama is just so tone deaf i mean like no pun intended there is no melody though (laughs) (laughs) um it's just so out of touch with what normal people are talking about and caring about right now that i just i don't i don't know i don't know if i really care to give it as much attention i mean that's inevitable because she's taylor swift but i don't know i just wish that she I mean, even her old songs were about something genuine. They're yeah. about like heartbreak and love. And now they're just about these made up celebrity beefs. It's just not it doesn't feel genuine to me or in touch with what her fans care about or yeah. what uh, like America cares about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's like she once positioned herself as this like feminist icon, like yeah. girl squad, like which female is totally, empowerment. And yeah. uh, not just,
0: what she actually
1: It's branding. I mean it's marketing. Um which, like, is problematic in and of itself. But, I don't know, like, I just, I don't think the song is about anything. It kind of reminds me of, like, how everybody was freaking out over the movie La La Land. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what does this movie have to do with anything? Yeah. Like, Moonlight? <laughs> there was that whole, like, oh, La yeah, La yeah, Land yeah, versus yeah, yeah. Moonlight, Moonlight drama. I was totally participating in that because I was like, Moonlight is about something that people care about. It's telling a story that has never before been told. Yep. It's super relevant and important right now. And it's also just a beautiful
0: story. Yeah.
1: La La Land is about this like dumb Hollywood yeah. thing that's totally relevant to most people's lives. La
0: La, I'm sorry. La La Land is just so dumb. Like the whole, like everything, <laughs> like I, I hate all of the, the hype about it. Like it's so stupid. Like it's about these two, like there's no culture in it. I there's know. no any, like
1: it's exactly. just, I mean, it's, That's that's actually a way more succinct way of putting my problem with Taylor Swift is that there's no culture in it. There's no cultural background. There's no relevance. There's nothing tying it to like what's going on right now yeah or even what's going on in her life like i don't even believe yeah. that, that celebrity beef is a real thing so i don't yeah, know i mean i hate to be like so negative but yeah that's okay. what I, those but are i do have thoughts. a
0: counter argument against the whole taylor <laughs> swift thing. okay now i completely agree <laughs> i don't think she's a feminist at all i don't think she's in touch with reality at all i think she's just totally like you said out of touch yeah but i also feel like like, that's what I go to Taylor Swift for. Like, she's sure. one of those people, like Kanye West. Like, I don't go to Kanye West and take him seriously. Yeah. I don't take Donald Trump seriously. Like, Taylor Swift's just one of those people that, like, I'm watching it and enjoying it as, like, as if I were watching The Real Housewives of New Jersey.
1: Oh, I'm, like, totally on board with being able to compartmentalize. I just think that Taylor Swift's influence is so gargantuan.
0: That Yeah, I, okay. That's a good point. You
1: know, I don't know.
0: No, I think that's a good point. And I feel like... I mean, at least Katy Perry's trying to be positively influential. Mm -hmm. You know, at least Kim Kardashian will tweet about the Harvey Hurricane. You know, right? Whereas (sighs) I think Taylor Swift really is just self-absorbed. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm obviously not the authority on like how political celebrities need to be. That's just my personal reaction, like instinct about the whole thing. No, but
0: I think you're right. If if you have a platform and you have an influence, you can use it in a
1: It's just like art isn't good when it's not rooted in something real and cultural.
0: That's fair. Boom. (laughs) Boom, my job. Okay, now I really want to ask you about this book deal because that's really how I came across... You, oh, really? and I found your show, is I saw your video about landing your book deal. Oh, and that's really okay. what made me fall in love with you. And I just started watching everything and reading your articles on Birdie. Oh, so cool. talk to me about this because you're, what, 25? I'm
1: 25. You're
0: 25. You have a book coming out yeah. with Penguin.
1: Uh-huh. With Yeah, with Putnam, which is in front of the Penguin group. Yeah. Um. Okay. So well talk to
0: me how that all came about.
1: Right. So, you know, it's funny. I have a hand in so many different... Areas of, of my life that kind of all led up to this book, you know. So by day I work as. A features editor at birdie mm-hmm. which is you know this online beauty and health magazine and then i have the dirty word which is my web series about gender gender language and pop culture which you know stems from my background in linguistics and um then you know on the side of all of that it was my dream to write a book of nonfiction. that was my dream ever since college i wanted to be a writer i wanted to publish originally a book of personal essays um but then you know when I finally got on the phone with a literary agent at the beginning of this year, which is really the thing that started it all. And the thing that you need in order to publish a book is an agent. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a goal of mine. Like, in 2017, I'm going to get an agent. Talk um, to me
0: how that happened, because I think people don't realize how difficult it is to land an agent.
1: Um, Yeah. So, well, in school, like, as a creative writing student at NYU, they would teach you that in order to get a literary agent, you need to, you know, write a full manuscript Mm -hmm. and then query literary agents with a query letter. cold queries, yeah. Cold queries. The reality is that those things will be thrown in the trash. Nobody ever told me that. I just, you know, as an editor in a magazine, I personally get so many emails every day that I figured, is someone, is an editor really looking through the slush pile? That can't be. That can't possibly be. Um, So I figured I would try to, you know, think of someone I know who who has any kind of connection. You know, I have a few friends who have literary agents, acquaintances, um, but the person who ended up hooking me up with my literary agent was an old childhood friend. This girl who I was in a play with, well, not the play where I had to dance, embarrassing, like, <laughs> a different play. We were in a play. We grew up together in rural Maryland. Well, I didn't grow up in rural Maryland, but we went. were in this play together in rural Maryland, um, literally in 2005. And we're just like social media friends ever since. And um, she saw on social media. I, I did some interview with a blogger about my career and mentioned that I was interested in writing a book um, or was trying to work on one. Um, I had written a hundred pages of a completely separate book before this book deal. (laughs) And she called me up and was like, Amanda, oh my gosh, I just read that you are writing a book. I like, I've been following you for all these years. I should totally hook you up with my agent. It was totally serendipitous. um, But that's how it happened, which is just extraordinarily lucky. Um, But yeah, so then I got on the phone with this agent and we decided to turn The Dirty Word into a book. She thought that that would be the most marketable. I was kicking myself for not having come up with that idea myself. And then, yeah, we put together a proposal, um, which is, you know, this like... stuff. Oh, my God. It was (laughs) torture because I work full-time as a writer, you know, so I had to do it on the side. Um, And then we shopped it around to publishers, and I ended up choosing my my publisher, Putnam. And, yeah, and then I have the next six months to write the book, and it actually isn't coming out until spring of 2019 so oh wow so it's really <laughs> yeah, it's, a ways so long, away. it's a ways away yeah but um yeah it's it's totally my dream i can't i can't believe it it's really I happening love <laughs> it's cool
0: no i seriously i i love that you that like it happens so serendipitous and, like, mm-hmm. you really don't expect – and I love that the point that you made in the video is, like, you just have to talk about – like, you have to be open and willing to share because yeah. I feel like I actually just did a podcast called Actually Adultish, which I think is coming out next week. But I talked about – because I also did a, a panel in Portland and how I'm so insecure about sharing what I'm doing professionally or, like, talking about certain things, like – um I just don't like to to share. Oh, I don't no, like to sound pretentious. I don't course. like to sound like I'm so like I don't like to sound like I'm Taylor Swift.
1: Oh yeah. Well, of course and you know the other thing and an old creative writing professor of mine said this once that like he always said that if he had an idea for a story, a short story or a piece in his mind and he started telling people about it, that would like jinx it somehow and he wouldn't yeah. do it. So there's also that side of it. But I just wanted an agent so badly that I Well, it wasn't even desperate at that point. I just, like, I know this sounds very, you know, like, ooh, spiritual and, like, figurative, but I just put... I really did just kind of start putting it out in the universe, you know. Yeah. I just started telling my friends and this blogger that interviewed me. And, yeah. you know, I, I was ready. I just, I just wanted a literary and I was ready for people to know that, I yeah. guess. Um, and for a lot of years, I, I wanted one, but I wasn't ready for people to know that. And it was just really, really lucky that the when I started telling people I was ready, like the opportunity came. Yeah. You know, that's what's really lucky about that. That's awesome. But, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs>
0: yeah. I have
1: no chill about it. I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so talk to me, because I feel like you're a boss lady, okay? <laughs> and this was the original topic that we um, had scheduled tonight, because we were going to do a panel. But, so, talk to me about what your definition of being a boss means.
1: It's funny, because I've never had the ambition of being the boss of a large company, mm-hmm. you know, like the the co-founders of the company that I work for that owns Birdie. Mm-hmm. There are these incredibly independent, visionary women in their 30s who run what is now a huge company right. um, of this huge digital media company. Um I have never had that goal to like, you know, start an enormous brand and, you know, have my own magazine or my own business or something like that. But I definitely have always wanted to be the boss of myself and Mm -hmm. to work for myself and cultivate my own brand, my own projects. Um, So, and I don't know what that could turn into. I mean, the past year, the past six months of my life has shown me that the opportunities you can't even imagine can come, you know, in an instant. So, if if, you know, the opportunity for me to run a, a team of people, if that presented itself, I doubt i would you know decline right, right. um but uh, i do have a vision of like the type of boss that i want to be even if it's just of myself or of my book or of my own projects and i think it's someone who definitely has like a very clear vision of what they want to create and then is able to execute it in a way that is visionary and creative but also efficient and professional. And also really compassionate because, you know, when you have a team of people, even if it's just a small team, like my editor, my agent, the people working on this book, or even, you know, when I manage like a team of interns at Birdie, when you have a team of people who are helping you and helping you execute your vision, it's just, it doesn't make any sense to treat them with anything less than compassion and understanding because that's going to make the end product better
0: yeah and it's funny i think of like all the people that were the most influential for me yeah and they're the people that were compassionate and were supportive and not the people that were you know bossy and you know full of themselves and like cut throat you know
1: (laughs) what's so funny i've been re-watching um episodes of the hills recently because like writing my book is really taxing on my Mm -hmm. brain and sometimes i need to just you know let it all go it's kind of what you were saying about taylor swift like i just need to check out yeah um so i've been rewatching the hills and i feel like that era in the mid-2000s was peak like abusive interns Mm -hmm. and i'm just watching all of these i mean and there's of course this reputation in the fashion industry to this day but i'm watching you know like Lisa Love at at Teen Vogue yeah, and, and all Lauren, these designers, yeah. like, totally bossing Lauren around. And I'm just like, I think we've really evolved since that yeah. era, at least in my experience. Um, you know, I think it's, like, not cute to abuse people no. <laughs> anymore <laughs> in the workplace.
0: No, I totally agree. Um, I have a really stupid question for you, though. Uh, yes. Yeah. So what exactly is linguistics? Because oh I think I have like an yeah. understanding of it, but yeah, I don't yeah. actually know what that means. Sure,
1: sure. Well, this is the whole reason why this book is happening. Because <laughs> because it's this topic that nobody knows about but that everyone is inherently interested in. It's okay. It's like this real gem. Yeah. Okay. So people think that lingu- people normally think one of two things about linguistics. They think it's either like Elocution like the study of proper grammar like mm-hmm. oh oh you you know about linguistics you must have amazing grammar it's not that or people think it's the study of many languages like people yeah. linguists linguists must be polyglots people who speak like fifteen languages and you know sometimes that is the case, but really linguistics is the science of language and there are a bunch of different subfields so there's semantics which is the study of how humans construct and understand meaning and that's kind of philosophical but there's also syntax which is the study of Sentence structures and how we assemble language, and it's kind of mathematical. Then there's the studies, there's a, the studies of phonetics and phonology, which are the studies of sounds and how we put sounds and um, units of meaning together. Um, there is the sociolinguistics, which is, you know, the thing that I love the most, which is the intersection between sociology and linguistics. So it's a study of why people talk the way they do and how and what effect oh. it has on their life. Um, so that could be anything from the study of a particular dialect to the study of, of class and language, gender and language, race and language.
0: Oh, um, yeah. now I'm getting more and more interested in this. Yeah,
1: totally. Everybody wants to know why they talk the way yeah, they yeah, do. Yeah. And linguistics is specifically dedicated to figuring that out
0: oh yeah okay now i'm even more excited it's the coolest. To wordy.
1: yeah it's the coolest yeah so wordy is kind of this like quick and dirty crash course in the subject of gender and language um and w- which is a relationship that is sometimes problematic, but always fascinating. It's literally everything from, you know, the history behind your favorite Internet slang and curse words to the sometimes ridiculed um, qualities of, quote unquote, women's speech that can actually be really empowering. Um, it's, you know, what is the gay voice? What is the lesbian voice? Yeah. Like, what are all of these things? Um, what, you know, what is the deal with gendered pronouns? It's all of that stuff. Um, And I can't fit it all in the book, obviously. That's the thing that pains me most. But it's uh, it's a quick and dirty crash course.
0: Okay. I'm into it. Okay. Closing question. If you could go back to your early 20s, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself or that you wish someone would have given you during that period of your life?
1: Well, this wasn't that long ago. I, well, so, uh, yeah, because I'm 25. 25, I'm not that old. Um, You know, I feel pretty okay about my career instincts and, like, the choices that I made because they led me here. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing I would definitely say to my early 20-year-old self, the thing that haunts my nightmares are my fucking eyebrows (laughs) (laughs) my eyebrows were so ugly like i did not know my eyebrow situation and when i go look back like nobody stalked back into my instagram when i look at photos of myself at age like 22 23 and i see my eyebrows i want to die like I did you
0: have them done professionally or did you do them yourself
1: no oh my god well it was like you know, in the early 2000s, you overplug and then yeah. it was the era of Instagram eyebrows. And so I would just fill them in so dark oh with God. like pomade, yeah. like the, literally a brow marker paint. Like it was oh just, it was so embarrassing and I couldn't see it. And nobody told me, one person told me it was my, it was, um, Rebecca o- Odes from Wifey, the uh, the co-founder of Wifey with Jill Saloway, uh-huh. We were doing like screen tests for the first couple episodes of The Dirty Word, and she was the hero oh my who God. told me, Amanda, your eyebrows are too dark and shiny, and they look insane. And so um, she saved me. But yeah, I would go back, and I would shake my 22-year-old self and smack her across the face and say, get your eyebrow situation together. Get your
0: eyebrow game <laughs> together. I love it. Uh... Uh, Thank you so much, Amanda. Where can people go and follow you?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, you can follow me on Instagram at at underscore or no. Wait, I'm really bad at this. At Amanda underscore Montel, M-O-N-T-E-L-L. And you can follow me on YouTube. You can just search for The Dirty Word or Wifey.TV. You'll find me.
0: I love it. And all the links will be down in the description below. Thank you guys for listening to hashtag nofilter. Don't forget to subscribe and listen every Wednesday on iTunes. If you don't have an iPhone, that's fine. You can listen on iHeartRadio Stitcher at networkstudios.com. Don't forget to leave us a nice review. Um because I think the new rules you can only leave five stars. Like it's a it's just it's a rule. <laughs> so you have to go and leave us a five star review and and leave us a nice comment while you're at it. Thank you so much, Codigo, for hooking up this week's drink of the week. It is so delicious. This rosé tequila is just amazing. So go and check out Codigo. You can go on their website. Um, again, link below to find where you can buy it near you. And check out this margarita drink in the description below. Don't forget to follow me at Just Plain Zach across all social media platforms. And again, don't forget to listen and subscribe to Hashtag NoFilter every Wednesday. All right. I got to go. Bye.